Heavenly Father, you are our all. You are the best. You are our joy and our righteousness, and we love you, Lord. Hear our confession this morning. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. And so we pray and worship and sing and preach in the name that is above every other name, the only name by which we must be saved, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We know, Lord, someday everybody is going to do that. Today, we would like for this day to be the day that we do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God is good. All the time. time. It's good to be back with you. Good to share with you. We've been out in Paisano in West Texas. I bring you greetings from... uh, Some of the ranchers of West Texas and a great gathering, a family camp there. Uh, We were there for uh, five or six days together. I tell you, Casey would love to live there. She just, uh, she feels free to run and play and uh, it's a great, great place for kids. And it was a great time for me too. It sort of served for me last year and this year as a reminder of why I love to do what I get to do to share God's word with God's people. And for a week out there a year, I I sort of get to shepherd a different flock of people. And uh, for the rest of the year, I get the privilege of serving with you and shepherding here. And it's good. It's good to be back. Well, George Patton, not to be confused with the general by that name, but George Patton with an E was an eight-year-old kid who told his friends that he had shaken the hand of the president the year before, and they did not believe him. Did not, they said. Did so, he said. Did not, he said. Did, didn't, did so, he said. And the, the new president, um, little George Patton, was talking about was Abraham Lincoln. The year was 1861. And he swore that because his father was a journalist, he had had the privilege in Springfield, Illinois, the year before of shaking hands with the president. But his friends would not believe it until, of course, his teacher wrote to the president, and said, is it true? And the president wrote back from the executive mansion, March the 19th, 1861. He wrote simply, to whom it may concern, I did indeed shake hands with George Evans Patton last year in Springfield, Illinois, respectfully, A. Lincoln. And he settled the matter. What do you do when you're trying to convince somebody that you're, that you're telling the truth and they just don't believe you? The apostle Paul had a very similar experience. He spent his life after that road to Damascus experience, trying to convince people that a man who had died one day and risen on the third day had arrested him in the road with a dazzling light on the way to Damascus and everywhere he went, many people just would not believe him. In Athens, he stood on Mars Hill and tried to convince them and the people tracked right with him until he said, and this Jesus who is risen from the dead, and he lost his crowd at that moment because they just couldn't believe it. Now, Paul never received a a handwritten letter from the Lord Jesus Christ, but as he described it, his life was a letter and the name of Jesus Christ was writ large on his life so that everywhere he went people knew that you could not explain Paul who had been Saul apart from his relationship with the the Lord of life Jesus Christ himself no wonder three times in the first two verses 
of the book of Ephesians, he talks about Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you open your Bibles with me as we consider what it means to be like Paul, called to Christ. Call to Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I recognize these are simple verses, might easily be read over and forgotten as we move into the deeper truths of the Trinity and the the calling and the chosenness and the election of God's people to the praise of His glory. But before we get there, we ought to take just a moment. I've spent two weeks soaking in these two verses, and I'm ready to share with you what God has been saying to me. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? We begin a new journey as we practice resurrection together. As uh, Wendell Berry wrote, we practice resurrection. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father, And the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. Right there on my iPod next to the obligatory Taylor Swift songs to help Casey make it through the trip. She discovered that song. Greater things are yet to come. She said, I love that song. I said, what does it mean to you? Greater things are yet to come, she repeated. Greater things are still to be done in this city. I imagine that Ephesus had no idea what they were in for when the Apostle Paul came marching into that town with nothing except his personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was determined to know nothing among them except Christ and him crucified. And when he arrived in Ephesus, what was, I think, the cultural center, the New York City, the biggest town in all of Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, when he got there, all they knew about, just 12 of them knew about, the baptism of repentance preached by John the Baptist. Apollos, uh, this uh, powerful orator, had deeply implanted that truth in their hearts, but they didn't know where to go with it because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Imagine trying to do church without the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul there, sent him there. That's what the word apostle means. And when he got there, he told them the whole truth and nothing but the truth about Jesus Christ. And when he did, they received him. And out of that, these 12 disciples began to grow. And they taught in the synagogue for a while, the Apostle Paul did, until they threw him out of that. And then he went to the lecture hall of Tyrannus, Acts chapter 19. You can read about it. And there... And there he preached every day, and he performed miracles. And things started happening in that city. People started confessing their sins. Good things start happening when people start confessing their sins. And then, and then it says, right there in Acts chapter 19, verse 24, I couldn't get past it this week, it says, the name was held in high honor in that city. Not the name of the Apostle Paul. Not the name of the messenger, but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was held in high honor in that city. Let me tell you how that city started to change. They had been an idolatrous city. Everybody there worshipped Diana. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, but 
The idol trade had fallen on lean times. They had lost some market share spiritually and economically. They couldn't sell any idols anymore because nobody wanted to bow down before little statues anymore because they had come to know the the living, resurrected Lord of life, Jesus Christ, and they had no need for idols anymore. And it so disrupted their trade that they had a riot and they tried to throw Paul out of town. And eventually he left after three years of ministry there. But some 11 years later, he wrote a letter. I think not just to the Ephesians. I think it was probably a circular letter. Paul often says, let this letter be read to you. And the the other letter I wrote as well. And they sort of passed these letters around. They came to be seen as authoritative, as Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Paul wrote to them. And all he could talk about, still, 11 years after he walked into that town talking about Jesus, all he could talk about was just Jesus. And I'll tell you why. Because on that road to Damascus, Paul was not just called to ministry. He was not just called to preach. He was called to Christ, to relationship, to belong to Him, to believe in Him, to be blessed by Him and to become a blessing in His name You should know that in recent weeks, a number of our students have said, God is calling me. And as I pondered that in these weeks that I was away, I wondered, what does it mean? It took me back to that time when I was a teenager and God just arrested me on a retreat, not unlike our Camp Tallowood experience, and made it very clear to me. But I wasn't just called to preach. I wasn't just called to be a vocational minister. I wasn't just called to be on staff. What keeps me coming back time and again is that I was called to Christ. Not just to a concept, not just to a philosophy, not just to a way of life, but to a person. To the Lord Jesus Christ. Called to belong to Him. Called to believe in Him. Called to be blessed by Him. And the Scriptures make it clear that in the Old Testament we see people like Jeremiah and like Isaiah and like Jonah with these dramatic experiences of calling. And maybe you at some point have said, I wonder what that would be like. I wonder what it's like to be called by God. And I came this morning to say, you don't need to wonder anymore. Because every one of us in this room, just like Paul, just like the Ephesians, has been called to Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means first that we are called to belong to Him. That we are no longer our own. That we have come into this relationship called to belong to Him with a new purpose in life. You wonder why Rick Warren's book has sold more books than any other Christian book besides the Bible. It's because I think people so desperately are searching for a purpose for their life, for a reason to live, a reason to be, a reason to get up in the morning, a reason to keep on going and... Paul found that purpose in relationship with Jesus Christ. So you see it even in the first line when he talks about this transforming call, this purpose that he has found in Christ. When he says Paul, you just know immediately that something has happened because he is the Paul who used to be known as Saul. And believe me when I say Saul wouldn't have written this letter. Because Saul was all about persecuting the Christians. And now Paul is all about preaching the Christ. And we wonder what happened. Something changed in his life. Brandon Heath, a a songwriter, has said, I'm not who I was. I used to be mad at you. A little on the hurt side too, he sings. But I'm not 
who I was. It's hard for the world to believe that. Everybody wants to change, but no lesser authority than the pugnacious, obnoxious character named House in the TV series says, people do not change. They want to, but they just don't change. He pontificates. Paul would beg to differ, wouldn't he? He remembered what it was like to be Saul, to be part of the tribe of Benjamin, to be descended from that same tribe from which came that that first larger-than-life king of Israel, Saul. He had all of that heritage. He was so proud of that heritage. But he says to the Philippians, "I, I gave all that up for the greater good of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to know him. I want to know the, the, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and in that intimacy with Christ. Paul had been transformed in such a, a miraculous way that, that there comes that moment in his ministry when he's with Barnabas. It's in Acts chapter 13, verse 9, when it says, Saul, who became known as Paul. It's as simple as that. So that people may be able to look back at our lives and remember when we used to be something. But we, we may not be who we ought to be. But thank God, we're not who we used to be. Paul put it this way to the church at Corinth. If any person is in Christ, a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. This calling is to God's transformational purpose, to his missional purpose. Paul, an apostle, we would use the word perhaps missionary, the the Greek word apostello, apostle to send, the, the Latin word mito, missionary, one who is sent, not unlike those who lost their lives in Afghanistan this week. Why would they go? Why would they go there? Because God sent them there. And regardless of the danger, we have to go where, where God sends us. We have to be who he wants us to be. And Paul was an apostle, and he would go to towns, and they would beat him up, and they would throw him out of town. One time, they nearly stoned him to death. He was shipwrecked. He was snake-bitten, but he just kept going because God had sent him. And what do you do when God sends you? Well, you go. And so he is, as Eugene Peterson calls him, a, a special agent for Christ. Paul says, I I can't not preach. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I'm under this calling, this urging from God. I can't resist it. I have to speak the truth about who Jesus Christ is. Omar Bradley in his little book, A Soldier's Story, tells about um, a colonel, a sort of maverick colonel named Patty Flynn. If you've read the story, Patty Flynn uh, of Irish descent was the, the colonel that Bradley knew he could go to if he had to get the job done. He could give it. It wasn't always done in a, shall we say, orthodox way, but Patty Flynn could always get the job done. But he always sort of bent the rules, stretched the rules a little bit. And one day Bradley ran into him and found that that uh, Patty Flynn had replaced the colonel insignia on his helmet. That's a a no-no in the military. You don't change the insignia, but he had replaced it with some letters, A, 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 dash, zero, and immediately... Immediately, Omar Bradley began to dress him down and said, do you think you can change the the code of the uniform? you think you can just replace your insignia? And as he was beginning to dress him down, some of the soldiers came to Flynn's defense and said, you need to know what the letters mean. What do they mean, Bradley asked. They mean anything, anywhere, anytime, bar nothing. 
And with those initials, Flynn had inspired his troops to to accomplish things that other groups had not been able to accomplish. It was his motto in life. I will will do anything. I will go anywhere at any time, bar nothing. Whatever my commanding officer tells me to do. The Apostle Paul marched under similar orders. When he says Apostle, what he's saying is A-A-A-Zero, anything, anywhere, anytime, bar nothing. And I wonder if you and I have answered that call in our lives. Or is there something that we wouldn't do for Christ? Is there some place we wouldn't go? Is there some time that's too inconvenient for us? Is there anything we wouldn't do for Christ? Because the Apostle Paul would have to say, no, I would do anything for Christ, anywhere, anytime. That's what it means to be called, to belong to him. He says, Apostle of Jesus Christ. He belongs to him. It's according to the will of God. The manifest purpose of God is being revealed in his life to be be set apart, to belong to him, to do what God has called him to do. He must be obedient to God's will in his life. That's why Paul could write to the church at Ephesus and say all of this comes from belonging to Jesus Christ. It's a a call to action, to do something for him, to belong to him. I wonder if you and I have answered that call in our lives as yet. I think about that man who said to John Buchema, I'm about to retire, and Buchema said, so what will you do after you retire? He said, I'm going, to sit in front of the, I'm going to sit in front of the television on the couch all day from sunrise to sunset, and Buchema said, you'll be dead within a year. He said, that's a terrible thing to say to a friend. I thought I was your friend. Why would you say that to me? He said, well, if your lack of purpose doesn't kill you, your wife will. <laughs> you need to get up. You need to get up and do something. Well, the Apostle Paul, when he got up from the dust of the road to Damascus, he changed his direction. God had transformed him. He was different. He was changed by the grace of God. He knew to whom he belonged, and he could never get away from Jesus Christ who arrested him on that road. He was on his way to arrest the Christians, but he was arrested by the Christ, and that changed his life. He had changed ownership. He knew to whom he belonged. We belong to him. Wayne Watson sings, we belong to him, crucified right by his side, bought with a price through one sacrifice. We belong to him. Do you know what that's like? Have you found God's purpose for your life? Barbara Brown Taylor tells about wrestling with God, wondering what God wanted her to do. She pleaded with God to tell her as she was falling asleep one night. She awakened during the middle of the night. She felt like, she said, God had said to her, In her heart, God had spoken to her these unmistakable words. Do whatever you want to do, but belong to me. You say, well, I want that calling. I want to be able to do whatever I want to do. Yeah, but the qualifier is um, amazingly confining and liberating at the same time. But belong to me. Because those who belong to him want what he wants so that we can be who he wants us to be. So that we can do what he wants us to do. We are called to belong to him. We are called to believe in him. So he writes to those faithful ones. The word really means those who are believers, those saints, he says in Ephesus. We're called to believe in him so that we will become a new people. Not just have a new purpose, but we will be a new people. We'll be changed. These people, he will say to them later in this letter, he said, you used to not be a people, but now you are a people. You used to be under sin. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you 
You've been raised to life. You not only have new life, you are a new people who have come to life in Christ. He calls them saints. And we look at that as a sort of esoteric word to describe people who have died, who've already gone to heaven, part of that great cloud of witnesses we talked about recently. But in fact, the saints, he says, are those who are in Ephesus. Saints are those who've been made holy, who've been set apart, who've been consecrated for God's purposes in this world. Believe me when I say you want to be a saint because the only alternative, pardon my grammar, is to be an ain't. And you don't want to be an ain't. You want to be a saint. And the saints have their feet firmly, firmly planted on terra firma. They're in a real place called Ephesus. Some of us went there together some years ago. I think it was back in 2001 or, or two, didn't we? We went, we went to Ephesus and we saw this magnificent city that had been excavated by the archaeologists. I remember John Grant and my sons uh, kneeling down like lions on the porch of one of those great, magnificent buildings there in Ephesus. And we took a picture of them. And, and it seems to me that we have to understand that these saints were in a real place. And it may sound irrelevant to us. Ephesus. We live, after all, in, in Houston, Texas. But there is, after all, some commonality wherever you live because there are no insignificant places in this world. For example, have any of you ever been to Dimebox, Texas? Anybody? Just Can I see a show of hands? A few of you. Yes, that's amazing. Some years ago, a man named William Lee Moon was dismissed from the faculty of of the University of Missouri. He got in his VW van, remember VW vans, and uh, took his dog and went on a road trip. And they stopped in all kinds of little towns. One of them was Dimebox, Texas. He said he stopped in this, in this three-road town. Two, two went east and west. One went north and south. And he, he stopped in that town and he sat down in the cafe on the only stool that was left there up by the counter in this little diner. And the room was packed, stem to stern, with people. And he said he listened to those people and they talked about the great issues of the day as though in that little cafe in Dimebox, Texas, they were going to solve all the problems in America. And as he sat there with a bit of a bewildered, perhaps disbelieving look on his face, one of the locals caught the expression and said, big city people don't think anything important ever happens in little places like Dimebox, Texas. And I guess they're right, he said. Maybe nothing important happens here unless things like conflict and love and babies and dying are considered to be important. My friend Hewlett Glore was reading that book some years ago with visions of grandeur. He was going to pastor the largest churches in the world and great visions when it occurred to him that everywhere God would take him, there would be conflict, there would be people falling in love, there would be babies born and people dying. It happens here, right here at, at Tallowood. While, while I've been here, while I've been here, people have fallen in love right in front of my eyes. Some of you have fallen in love right in front of my eyes. And, and babies are born with some regularity around here. And sometimes... Larry and I and other ministers stand here and remember the lives of some of the greatest people who ever lived on this earth right here in Houston, Texas. Life is happening. And that's where the, the saints have to be. They say some years ago when Cromwell ran out of lead for bullets, he, he, he melted down the statues of some of the saints over there in England. He said it's time to melt down the saints and put them into circulation well, we need to be put in circulation. 
We need to live in this world, in Ephesus, those, he says, who are faithful, those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're so believing that they've become believable. That movie, The Talented Mr. Ripley, features a young man who, who is able to fool people, to deceive people, and they ask him at some point, why did you do it? And he said, I, you know, I think, I always thought, he said, it would be better to be a fake somebody than to be a real nobody. He may have always thought that, but he's not right. It's better to be real, to be authentic, to live with integrity. You read the news. I've been reading the news. Somebody said, in a world of images, the truth no longer matters. But I want you to know the truth does matter. I sat recently with the CEO of one of the most powerful companies in our country and he talked in glowing terms about the culture of his company being integrity. That without integrity they had nothing. And I've been reading the news this weekend and was astonished to see his picture and his name. And I don't know the story. But what I do know is that integrity really does matter. And the saints in Ephesus are those who are faithful. They not only believe, but they've become believable. They are living what they believe. They are walking the talk. It's not that they're perfect people. That's not what saints means. We're not perfect, but we have been forgiven. And those who are saints are, are those who are holy, who are becoming like Christ as it reads in 424, in true holiness. The saints are, chapter 1, verse 18, God's inheritance. We know God is our inheritance. We await our inheritance, but did you know we are His inheritance? And God's purpose is that we grow up, that we practice resurrection, that we put the gospel into practice in our lives We read in the scriptures that John the Baptist grew up. We read that Jesus grew. Paul says, grow up in Christ. Grow up in unity. And that will bring glory to God on our staff. We're talking about not what we're going to do next, but why we're going to do what we do next. And the answer that has to be that God would be glorified as we as a church are unified in Him, that God would receive glory, that no person would receive credit. God, do something so great among your people at Tallowood that nobody but you could ever take credit for what happens here, that God would be glorified and God alone would be glorified. We'll talk about living to the praise of God's glory in the weeks to come through the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But we must put that into practice in our lives. We belong to Him. We believe in Him. We are called to be blessed by Him. He says in verse 3, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How much is that? How do we measure that? We could just start with a couple words this morning. The first is he says grace to you. Paul loved the word grace. He's the only ancient writer. He's the first ancient writer to do this. Most of the Greeks used a word kyrene, which means rejoice. But Paul gave us a reason to rejoice. The unmerited favor of God. Grace to you. And how do we know that we've received God's grace? When we become graceful. When we become gracious. When we put grace into practice in our lives. Desmond Tutu, who won the Nobel Peace Prize, tells about the turning point in his life when he became a follower of Christ. Raised in a ghetto in Soweto. While he was there, People did not even acknowledge that he existed until one day he and his mother were walking down the street and a clergyman 
tipped his hat at him. His bolo hat he tipped, acknowledging the presence of a young man and his mother. And Tutu said, that was the turning point. For me, he said, that 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 man had so experienced his Christianity that it changed the way. He didn't look at me like anybody else in our whole culture looked at me. He acknowledged my existence and he said, that was the day I decided I needed to be a follower of Jesus Christ when I met a man who put it into practice and that man became his mentor and he has been used of God. And my word to you is, what if you and I so receive God's grace that we became gracious like our God, that we became holy like him? with true righteousness, became created again in his image. It's one thing to be born again, but it's another thing to grow. I think we've got the birth part right. Let's get the growth part right. Let's become what C.S. Lewis calls deep church, where we grow, not just grow numerically. Look, the books have been written on that. I think what we know from the last couple of decades is that, that there's more to church than that, more than just growing numerically. What if we grew spiritually? What if we became people of grace whose lives were were completely permeated with the peace that comes through Jesus Christ? A peace that the world can't give. A peace that the world can't understand. Paul will reverse these words at the end of this letter. He starts out talking about grace and peace. He ends up talking about peace and grace. Because these words are the last word. Because they are God's word in our lives. Words of grace words of peace, transformed fully by His grace. We become who we were always meant to be as we belong to Him, as we believe in Him. We are blessed by Him and we become a blessing. No wonder Paul can't stop talking about Jesus Christ 11 years after he walked into that city. It's still all about Jesus. 2,000 years later, it's still all about Him. Brennan Manning, the the writer and, and preacher, tells about how he got his first name, how he grew up with a friend, a best friend named Ray, how he and Ray uh, played together when they were children, bought their first cars together, learned to drive together, went on double dates together, uh, entered the military together, went through boot camp together, and sat in a foxhole together one morning talking about life when a live grenade fell right in the foxhole. And here was Ray, Brennan Manning's best friend, eating a chocolate bar And Brennan says, I remember him dropping the chocolate bar, looking at me and smiling, and then diving on top of that grenade and dying so that I could live. I remember that. He said, I cannot forget that. So years later, when he entered the priesthood, they asked him to take the name of a saint. And he chose the last name of his best friend, Ray, Ray Brennan, as his name, Brennan Manning. Some years later, he said, I sat drinking tea in Brooklyn with Ray's mother, and I asked her, I don't know why I asked, he said, but I asked her, do you think that Ray loved me? He said, his fierce mother stood up and looked me in the eyes and pointed her finger in my face and said, what more could Ray have done for you? No wonder Brennan Manning carries Ray's last name as his first name. No wonder the Apostle Paul carried the name of Christ took the name of Jesus with him everywhere he went. So that if you and I looked up at God this morning and said, did Jesus Christ really love us? He would have to look at us and say, what more could Jesus 
have done for you. Paul knew that because he was called to Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, are we. Have we answered that call? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing grace and power and love poured out in our lives through Jesus Christ. Help us today, I pray, to be faithful servants of our faithful God. Help us, I pray, Lord, to receive your grace, not in vain, but to put our Christianity into practice by your grace, for your glory alone. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.